0: Welcome to Kingdom Family Talks, the podcast of Leif Hetland and Global Mission Awareness.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Leif Hetland, and welcome to Kingdom Family Talks. And I have this great honor today to sit down with my dear friend Robbie Dawkins. Uh, and I know he's in Dallas, and we get to sit and look at each other. You just get to hear us. And I just thought about when was the first time you and I met? Do you remember that, Robbie?
0: Uh, I believe it was in uh, it, it was in Champaign, Illinois. Uh, was the first time I heard about you for years. And uh, heard Randy Clark talk, uh, say so many wonderful things and many others also. But uh, I think I can't remember the exact date, but I, I remember it was there. I think it's about five years ago. Yeah, so. that sounds and right. That and sounds then, right. then
1: I remember, I think one of, the, uh, one of my highlights was our time when we're in the swimming pool. And I got to hear some of your story, some of the journey, the story behind the story. And oh, that was it was in
0: Chile. yeah, in Chile,
1: Chile, South America. I just, a yes. lot, lot of good memories from that trip.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, we, we were very grateful for that pool being there too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it was helpful. I'm heading there next week. So that's my oh, next place. Yeah,
1: go um, back again. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be hard. I thought about it because it's such an honor just for our kingdom family to to, to connect with you and both the influence you've had on my life and so many of us. And I thought about at least one story that my wife and I often talk about, and that is your, your story about your grandpa, about the oh, Africa. Yeah. Just understanding some of the history that is behind you. And when you started to honor some of those roots uh, at VOA, it did something with us. Do you
0: mind just sharing a little bit of the testimony, a little bit of the background of your family? Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm a fifth generation pastor and uh, that really comes from my mother's side uh, more than my father's side. Everybody assumes it's from my dad's side, but uh, uh, but it's from my mother's side. And um, my grandfather, uh, my mother's father, um, he was uh, th- that side of his family uh, it, by my great grandfather had become a Seventh-day Adventist. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, uh, my grandfather was going to a seventh day Adventist, uh, Bible college, uh, that was in, uh, Nebraska and, um, and they were living in Colorado. They were farmers in Colorado. Um, they were, um, Scottish, uh, you know, family who had migrated to the United States. And, and, uh, as, as he went, uh, they, he had, gone there with his roommates, they had decided to fast and pray and just to uh, seek God. Uh, And I think it was around the third or fourth day, if I remember correctly, um, they were all, uh, there was, I think, four of them in in his uh, particular dorm room that had been fasting and praying together and uh they had just a visitation of the spirit and they were all baptized in the holy spirit began to speak in tongues (laughs) um and it was just an incredible experience they didn't know what it was they had not um they had not heard of uh azusa at that time which would have been just going for a few years when that had taken place and um and my grandfather, uh, you know, immediately sort of one of the fruits of that was he began to prophesy. Hmm. And um, the next chapel service they had uh, in their, um, you know, that they had had at their their Bible college, uh, he stood up in the service and uh, began to, one of them uh, spoke in tongues, but he began to prophesy. Uh, It wasn't just an interpretation of the tongues, but it was also going into, you know, prophetic ministry uh, basically there and uh, begin to prophesy about uh, things that were going to be happening in the coming uh, I think with the great depression that was coming the, uh, at that time, world war one was at the beginnings of it. He prophesied about world war two and it was just wow. several things that he began to prophesy. And one of the other students that was in the group that was fasting and praying, began to write down the things that he said. And, uh, so after that experience, um, you know, the hope is that a great revival would break out at a place like that, but it was, it was actually, the response was the exact opposite. Uh, an immense amount of persecution came against he and the other students. Uh, the faculty, the, stu- the student body uh, began to treat them terribly, and uh, my grandfather would never talk about it because of the, the pain that he went through with it, but uh, in that experience, he ended up having a nervous breakdown uh, so much so to where that they had to uh, bring um, my uh, my great aunt. His sister had to get on a train to retrieve him and bring him back to Colorado, and uh, and it just it just really just shut him down so much in his life. It was really tragic. But uh, and he said after that, he said he would he would never prophesy again. Um, and, and I experienced that that was true until um, later in my years, you know, he he said something to me that was very prophetic. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was really it was a very sad experience, you know, for 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 him and, and for his family. But he came back and he did find a Pentecostal church to be a part of, and, you know, to where that he found family, he found a place of belonging and understanding, so that was extremely helpful.
1: Yeah, and then your mom, I mean, because I remember the yeah, he, yeah, yeah. and the offering plates with your mom, I, I never forgot yes. that
0: story. <laughs> yeah, well, that's where he prophesied again. Uh, he, I was, I was uh, 15 years old, and my grandfather always kept beside, um he, he always kept beside the his chair he had a chair that he always kept with him uh that he always sat in and he kept beside uh this little table uh, on the chair his bible and a black book and uh he always uh had it with him As a matter of fact i have that that black book and that bible in my office right now and um the and i always i understood the bible but i was like what's the black book and he said it was his ledger Throughout the depression, and it was his financial ledger, and he said, uh, "He said this is a testimony that God is faithful to His word, and that He always keeps His word." And I said, "How so?" And he opened it up, and he started going through and just showing me all of these things where, in uh, throughout the depression, where they would tithe, uh, they would give, and that God was always, and and that He would t- He told me, He said, "All the farms around us." because they were a part of the dust bowl here in the United States, um, how that they had crashed. And, and in the midst of all that, um, his, the potatoes that he was harvesting were uh, sometimes, many of them were the size of melons. Wow. Um, they were so large in comparison to the others that couldn't produce potatoes any bigger than a quarter. And um, and so he, he just was talking about how that this is a testimony of the faithfulness of God and that God keeps his word. And then one of the pages in the paper, he opened up and he showed me a page where it says missions, two cents. And I, I looked at that and he goes, Robbie, he goes, that's you. And immediately I was kind of like two cents, like that's it? Like, what does that mean? You know, you know, know. And he looked at me and he goes, you, you don't understand the story. He said, uh, when your mother was 10 years old, Uh, we were having a missions conference and uh, this was like in, uh, 1938 or 39 or something like that. He said, we were having a missions conference and we, um, we weren't, we had only gotten a third of the amount, the amount of money that we were trying to get in. And he said, uh, your mother, uh, was only 10 years old and she stepped to the front and she said, may I see the offering basket? And they handed her the offering basket. And, um, she took the offering basket and she held it. And she said, I'm just a poor pastor farmer's daughter. Uh, she said, I have no money to give. And so she set the basket on the ground and she stepped into the basket and she said, I have no money to give. So I give me, she said, I'll go to a nation that no one wants to go to. And, um, and I'll serve there as a missionary. She said, I have no money to give. So I give myself. Wow. And, um, And and they said after that, they took up the offering and they got in one and a half times more. They had only gotten a third before that, but then they got in one and a half times more. And and he looks at me and he goes, you know, your mother fulfilled her word. She, She went to Japan with your father. They became missionaries. And he said, but it's important to realize when your mother... Uh, stepped in the basket she wasn't standing there alone he said she was committing herself and every generation that would come out of her and he said you were in the basket with her and he said um and he goes and you will fulfill that as well he goes you'll go to the nations and nations of the world that no one wants to go to and you will equip them and you will show them how to use the power and the things of god that god has shown you uh, to bring people to christ and he said he said, so that night, he goes, when I gave, he goes, I gave my last two cents. He goes, that's the last money that I had. And he said, it's recorded in this book because I man, it just blew my mind. And of course, I could feel the Holy Spirit come all sure. over me when he said it. It was so powerful. And then
1: I'm, I've been watching you and including now your son was uh, just leading worship as yeah. worship leaders during our kingdom family gathering this weekend and watching your legacy, your mm-hmm. sons and, and your family. And I've got the honor of meeting uh, your wife and, and pretty much, I think, all of your your children in different settings. And yeah, I watching. think you've met them all. Yeah. I have met them all, yeah. so. But just even to watch that taking place, imagine now when I'm watching what God is doing in and through you, and then also watching your children and the legacy and how that just continue. And I know it's the way that the father intended for things to be, but how do you see the connection of the, the godly legacy that you have, the inheritance and how you steward yeah. inheritance, but also how do you as a father that is a, Because so many people like us in ministry, and we know the pain of the next generation that's coming along, that many of them have the scars. But somehow you have done it well by looking at the fruits of. So what would you say some of the secrets being on the front row like you had been doing and and at the same time to be able to raise up children and love
0: Jesus like you have you and your wife what? yeah I mean I, I have to give a massive amount of credit of that to my wife uh, because she 's like an amazing mom, and you know one of the things that we kind of early on in our marriage um, you know having uh, my having grown up in, in a ministry home, my parents were in full time ministry my entire life, uh, having you know seen all the things that we saw, and I saw many of my friends who were, who were fellow, uh, you know, we say PK and MK pastors, kids, missionary kids, you know, walk away from the faith. And it was hard and it was painful to see like, and, uh, I, I couldn't, I, I never could understand many of them I kept up with, but when I would talk to them and be like, how could this happen? You know, uh, it, it never, it never clicked with me or understood with me and I never understood it, but I came to a realization later that one of the things that I think was significant was that, uh, my parents, we followed with what something my parents did and they always involved us in, in, in a part of the ministry. And it wasn't just, um, you know, there were things that, that, you know, we, definitely that were non-negotiables. Uh, you, you always went to church. You were never allowed not to go to church. My dad always had a rule. You you stay in my house or live in my house, you go to church. Mm-hmm. And, and that was never a decision uh, that we could make contrary. He's like, you don't have to go to church, but if you don't, you don't live in my house. And that's just the way that it is, you know? And, and he was, he held that line very strong. And he said, this, this is, he would tell us all the time, this may sound unloving to you, but this is actually the most loving thing I could ever do for you. Mm. And that was really true. Uh, I saw a lot of other ministry families where that they, they didn't have that or that there was a, You know, a thing of, well, we don't ever want to force our kids into anything. And we weren't we weren't forced to accept Christ. We weren't forced to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We weren't forced, you know, to choose ministry as a long term life, you know, call. But but we were definitely required to be in the house and the the house of God. And that was the same with my children. Um, We always uh, told them this is the way that it is and that this is this is how. And I think that was crucial. I think the other part of it is is staying normal. Um, And this is where I think some of the challenge comes in is um, we 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 just kept things normal. My wife has has the gift of that. Uh, she really has. We're both married to normal. We are both married (laughs) to women. No, no, this is very true. Jennifer's very much the same way. They know how to keep things normal. They know how to keep life normal. And, and I think, you know, I think we as, as men of ministry Mm -hmm. uh, are, are, are smart enough to yield to that and to know that we need, we need that in our lives and that we need somebody that just kind of keeps our feet on the ground that keeps us and so um you know people can be all around me you know i, I remember one of the one of the times this is a story i love to tell it was i was in an, uh, an event in england and there was eleven thousand uh, people in this arena and and you know it's one of those things where you're you know i'm i'm the, the the only speaker of the evening and and a famous worship band is worship leading worship before i get up to speak and all this stuff And my wife turns and looks at me and she says, you know, there's God TVs there with 11 cameras. I mean, it's a big event, you know, and my wife turns and looks at me and she goes, you know, I think our fourth son, we have six sons. She goes, I think our fourth son is not brushing his teeth on this trip, you know, and I think he's not, and you need to speak to him because I've said something to him twice already. He's still not brushing his teeth. I want you to talk to him about brushing. I mean, this is like 10 minutes before I get up to speak and as (laughs) as weird as that may sound, that, that is like a warm blanket for me. Yeah. And, and it keeps things normal. And, and that was always the case with us is that, um, my wife, Angie just kept things normal and made sure that, um, she made sure that there was a balance. She made sure that I was always at You know, uh, there's a lot of school events, you know, as an itinerant minister, you know, you miss a lot of things because you're gone. Uh, They schedule so many of these school things on the weekends when we're gone on the weekends. And but she always built in there like if there was something significant to make sure that either on my calendar that it was cleared or that I was flying out after that event or Even contacting, uh, you know, um, uh, my person who's doing my scheduling to see if they could move, you know, uh, one day for for me to be able to attend a play or to be able to attend a concert where they were singing or something. And, you know, she would always make sure that the the kids felt, you know, that that things were, you know, that, that they were important and that they were significant. And I think that that helped out immensely and then two, you know, just the um just always keeping in front of them the value of of what it was to be a man and a woman of God and and the value of that and the uh the significance of that um in you know in living it out, whether we're in business, whether we're in uh ministry, whether we're, you know, just uh working at a job or, or whatever. Um, you know, just that that was a a life that was uh, dedicated and given to God, no matter what our particular area or field was in. And I think that was really, really crucial. Um, and we would ask our kids, you know, what are your dreams? What are you wanting to do? What are you and 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 hearing from them? Um, you know, starting off, you know, I want to be Superman (laughs) and then, you know, I want to be a fireman and then I want to be a policeman and then I want to be a rock star and, and allowing them to, you know, dream their dreams without uh, trying to curb any of that, but always keeping at the heart of it. Well, that's great. You know, one of the things we want to do is, is if we go down those lanes in our life, that we always keep Christ first, that we always keep that relationship with Jesus first and foremost, in whatever we do. And, and I think just keeping that as a, as a steady communication, you know, but, but also living out, Uh, they saw, you know, me, especially, you know, share my faith on a regular basis. They saw me, and you don't have to be this type of person. I mean, I'm, I'm particularly this type of person, both in ministry and in natural personality, But uh, always, you know, sharing and praying for people, giving words to a stranger, you know, praying for people who are sick and and then saying, hey, come here, you know, um, Caspian, my youngest son, come here, put your hand right here and um, lay hands on 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 this person and and repeat after me, you know, and how I got how I learned to train people to do healing and to give words of knowledge was really by teaching my kids Mm -hmm. And I began to realize the simplicity of what I was, my children is what many adults need. They need that type of simplicity in action to learn how to do things, you know, um, that are just extremely practical and simplistic. And so it was also training. My children was also showing me an avenue of how to equip and train other people, uh, and doing the same. And so It was all just. It was all kind of working together, and I think that's that was significant for our family to see us uh, be a family of ministry, and it's what my parents did for me, and what we do for them. Another thing I was just thinking when you were sharing is uh, because I
1: was trying to see how do you balance this thing, and I'm not saying balance, but when you went to Aurora, Illinois, yeah, and, uh, and I think that of course people know you also from from some of the films where you saw literally some of the transformation. And I loved, there was one thing that you said that I've actually adopted from you. I I used it in Pakistan around the world. It's the vengeance of the Lord in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Every time the enemy takes one of us and what we do there. So, but can you share a little bit of that journey? Because I thought that there's, I'm thinking about that as well as even the Japan story. There's two stories that came to my mind that one had to do with, the story with the gang members and what actually took place and to see the shift there. And then the other one I just thought about again was when you went to Japan after all yeah. these years and you saw the fruit of You're right, right. the pennies and everything else and that I wept uh, and my wow. wife and I both sat and wept when you shared that. So that's two stories I'm asking for.
0: <laughs> sure. You know, when we were in Aurora, Aurora was, uh, Aurora, Illinois, was one of the top 10 most violent cities in the nation. Um, there was, uh, there, there was, blood running in the streets almost on a daily basis it was very it was very violent um had a bad reputation a lot of people told us you know if you go and 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 plant a church there you know we're not going to be a part of it you know they said we're we're with you if if you as long as you don't plant an aurora i mean we heard that so many times um during you know the process of of going you know do do we want to plant those churches is our, we knew we were going to plant churches with the exact location and um, and so when we ended up deciding that Aurora was where it was at, it was because the level of desperation was so high there mm-hmm. um, and I had always had a theory that greater miracles happen where the level of desperation is higher and so you know in in um, In Pakistan, you know, where people are more poor, where there's not as much health care, things like that, that raises the level of desperation. And so whenever there's that level of desperation that's there, people, you'll see more kingdom activity. And so uh, we we really moved there believing that because of that level of desperation, we would see more things happen. And we did as a result of that. One of the things that had uh, taken place, though, is that, you know, the gangs were running the city. And, um, and I was like, Lord, we need a strategy to see this change. And, you know, what do we do? You know, I, I was just like, I I don't know how to see this change. I don't know what to do. And the Lord began to speak to me about studying the tribe of Gad Mm -hmm. and, uh, look at the sons of Gad, uh, which Gad was a son of Israel and one of the 12 tribes. And so we started studying, I started studying them and I started seeing interesting things of what they did and. And the Gadites had this deal where that if, if somebody came to, um, to, to come, like an enemy came in to t- steal their things and to pillage them and, and you know, to raid them, um, Gad, before he, they would leave their territory, uh, they, would, they would capture their enemy. They would take back their possessions and they would do this thing called extracting a toll. And what they did is they would make the enemy pay for crossing their territory. They would not only take back their possessions, but then they would make them pay money or in in possessions a price for crossing their territory. And uh, Gad was one of the you know the Gadites were some of the fierce men of David. David. Uh, where that uh, he, you know, said that uh, out of all the other tribes, there was this tribe that was gifted in the sword, this one in the shield, this one in the spear. When it came to Gad, it says they were equipped with every weapon of war. So Gad was sort of walking warfare. And then, and then when Israel was blessing Gad, he said, you know, you will grab your enemy. Your enemy will grab you by the heel, but you will turn and grab him by the throat. Oh. And I was like, wow, you know, and I was like, well, what does that mean for us? How does that translate? And um, the Lord began to speak to me and said, well, go to go to the gang members that you've led to Christ and ask them how they operated and what they did. And so I went to them and I said, if somebody came through and crossed your territory, how did you respond? And they said, well, anything that they did to us, we did three times that to them, if they stole 10000 of our dollars, we stole 30000 of theirs. If they killed one of our people, we killed three of theirs. If they raped one of our women, we raped three of theirs. Whatever they did to us, we did three times that to them. And it hit me in that moment, that's our strategy. Hmm. And I looked at them and I said, that's what we're going to do from here on out. And, and one of them literally responded, we're going to kill people. And they're like, I love this church. I love this. And I said, no, we're not going to kill people. I said, what we're going to do is every time that a violent crime happens, every time something bad happens in the area, we're going to go to that very block where it happened and we're bringing three people to Christ. And we are going to extract the toll from the enemy. We're going to make the enemy pay for attacking our city and pay for attacking us because he's crossing our territory because this city we are declaring as the city that belongs to God. And if that's the case, then if the enemy crosses that territory, he's gotta pay for that act. And so that's what we started doing. Just every time there was a violent crime, we would go to the very area that it happened and we would bring three people to Christ in that area. And we began to see things change. Uh, It's like Bill Johnson says, it's shifting the atmosphere. we began to see that atmosphere shift as we began to do that. And it began to have incredible results, and I mean, all of a sudden, we begin to see crime drop. We begin to see the, um, the the chief of police, a matter of fact, called me, and he goes, "Hey, he goes, what are you guys doing in these areas?" Uh, because I was a police chaplain for the police department as well, and he said, "What are you guys doing in these areas?" He goes, "We're seeing that as crime." as, as, you know, when a bad crime like this happens, he goes, normally crime goes up, but we're seeing where you've been that it drops. And they said, and we're noticing you guys are in that area. What are you doing? And I said, well, I said, I explained to him what we were doing, but taking the toll. And he goes, he says, no, really, what are you doing? And I said, no, really, that's what we're doing. You know? And he, he couldn't wrap his head around that. And um, it just began to see the city change, so much so that crime began to drop so significantly until the police department ended up laying off a third of the police staff uh, because police officers were complaining of being bored uh, in the the city. Now, again, this is one of the top 10 most violent cities in the nation at the time, ranked in the top 10. And, um, and crime just began to plummet so much. Well, in one of those documentaries you're talking about in the movie Father of Lights, um, we filmed where we brought in these gang members because they were threatening to start a war uh, in the city and it was to reclaim respect. Well, in gang lingo, fear means respect and they wanted to reclaim fear in the city and get the people to respect them again And so what ended up happening is they ended up um, threatening to start this war. And they were saying that in 2012, it would be the bloodiest year of all of Aurora's history. We invited them in and we ended up leading all of them to Christ. These top Latin King members throughout Chicagoland led them all to Christ. They began to feel the power of the Holy Spirit. They began to feel electricity. Their bodies got healed. We were giving them prophetic words. And all of them ended up giving their life to Christ. And, um, and the end result of that was in 2012. At the end of 2012, we went a full calendar year without one homicide. Incredible! And that had not <laughs> happened for 66 years. Uh, it had wow. been 66 years since that had happened. And it hit every major newspaper around the country. Yeah. Stories about, uh, Aurora, Illinois were coming out all over the place, um, Uh, CNN did a thing on it, BBC, Fox News, everybody was reporting on on what had taken place. And uh, our chief of police, you know, at one point on the BBC says, he goes, you cannot just study the police intelligence. He says, you've got to study what that um, little church on the corner of Root and Galena is doing, because uh, whatever they're doing, he goes, and I don't understand it, but it's having an impact and a change on our city. I love and, it. and that was because the chief of police from France and Italy had flown over <laughs> to study the police intelligence to figure it out. And he goes, you can't just study the police intelligence. He goes, you've got to study what's happening there. That's, that's beautiful. The, that's, that's, that's what happened. And that's, you can Google that story. It's documented as to what, t- what took place in Aurora. Wow. Wow.
1: One more thing that I felt that uh, I think that you can add tremendous value. I do know that uh, going all the way back to kind of a John Wimber, first time I went was I went to Anaheim in 1985. That was the first time. So and just, uh, of course, the power of evangelism that John Wimber and Randy Clark and now with you living a supernatural lifestyle. But I think that what is excited being around you and watching you is how you are empowering other people to do it. Of course, that's so much of a father's heart, but that somehow you making the supernatural lifestyle very natural for the ordinary people. And so if you can give us some, either some advice for people that are listening, because that's what you're doing is empowering the ordinary people to do the extraordinary, but to be very natural, supernatural.
0: Well, you know, one of the things that had that impacted me, and you, you'd asked about this story, uh, too, so I'll, I'll conclude this. Uh, Todd White and I were doing a conference in Japan last year um, together, and, and two of the leaders from Japan, I showed a picture of my mother event, sharing the, the gospel with some children in a village and showing all the children raising their hands, having accepted Christ. And two of these church leaders came with tears in their eyes and they said, I'm in the picture. And they, they called, uh, they called my mom the Jesus lady because (laughs) were always talking about Jesus. And they said, we remember they had tears in their eyes. They said, we remember the Jesus lady because she came and she shared the gospel with us. And I'm in the picture raising my hand, uh, because of the Jesus lady and the impact that that had on me was to realize We need to equip others and give this away to as many people as possible. Mm. And rather than just making a ministry for ourselves, you know, our ministry really needs to be raising other people up because Jesus was really pouring himself into the 12 in his entire life while he was here. He's he's letting the 5,000 listen to him preach to the 12, Mm. you know, and it was he was just allowing them in on the conversation he was having with them. And so I began to, early on, I began to realize that, you know, there were things I wanted to know about growing up, having, you know, my dad would take us to, uh, you know, Kenneth Hagen meetings. He would take us to see these different incredible people, uh, Oral Roberts one time, and and uh, on and on I could go. There were many of them that, that we went to visit. And I remember thinking, are these people just really special people, you know, do they fast so much that they never eat? You know, I like had all these uh, questions and I began to realize uh, that, uh, you know, everyone else has those same questions and that I needed to be helped to, to answer those questions. So I I made it a, a real commitment in my life journey to, to give away as much as possible. And I'd had a conversation at one point with Carol Wimber john wimber's widow and i said to her i asked her the question i said what would you advise somebody like me who's doing what i'm doing uh what's your advice to somebody like me and she said robbie if you'll seek to give away everything you want to do you'll always have it you'll have more you'll never be looking for more but if you seek to give away the things you want to do and make a way for others to do it god will make sure you always have more and so that's always been the 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 center part of of what my ministry has been is to give away the stuff I want to see happen, give away the things i want to I want God to use me in and that if I give that away, if I pull people in just and it's again it's just you know when you go to pray for somebody just saying, "Hey, let me grab this person, lay your hand." some people get frustrated me with me at conferences <laughs> they'll come to me for prayer. And they'll say, well, I want you to pray for me. And I'll be like, well, hang on, let me grab this, you know, this 12-year-old boy over here. Put your hand here. Repeat after me. And, and they don't understand that in order for us to see that continue, we need to equip and raise others up in it, uh, you know, in order for us to continue to be able to operate in it. And so as we give it away, we're sowing into others that we reap you know, and, and that story with my, with my mother and the basket and the two cents and my grandma, that was a sowing and reaping story, uh, that, that, you know, now, you know, even the world gets to reap, uh, in that, in what was sown in that. And, and, and so always raising other people up, putting them, uh, in, and letting them see who Christ has really made them to be and the power and authority they have that they don't realize they have. So good. If you
1: have one advice in this season that we're living in, I mean, we're in 2020. There's a lot of beautiful things that God is doing. And I think I know both you and I coming from, we have uh, love lenses. <laughs> so yeah. we see things from, uh, from, from, a, from a different paradigm than people that are operated from our fear paradigm. But if you yeah. were to just uh, giving some words of encouragement in 2020 for people to dream with God and getting involved in what God is doing to recognize what God is up to so that because people that are, they're investing their life in the right way. If you understand what God is doing and you join him in it and don't get distracted by what the
0: devil is doing, but focusing on what Papa God is doing. Well, you've said it right there. (laughs) I I, I really, I mean, you really have, I really think the thing that, that I'm, that I'm hearing more and more, uh, you know, for, for people to, and encouraging people to do is to recognize fear is a liar yeah. and, and to never yield to fear, never yield to the, the feeling of fear, never, never yield to the, the worry of what, you know, bad can happen. Um, you know, and, and to always recognize that those feelings, you know, of, of fear, they're, they're deceptive and that, uh, that the enemy is the author of that and, and to never yield to that. Um, of course, I think there's exciting things uh, coming in 2020 and that this is an exciting period and my, I'm, my my level of expectancy is probably higher than it's ever been. At the same time, I know that anytime the enemy gets a sense of that, he's going to fight it hard. And the only way to overcome that is to realize that that fear, that worry, or whatever comes tries to come in... Uh, is, is just, you hit it so clearly is the distraction. Mm -hmm. And what I've concluded is that 99.9% of warfare is distraction. It's the enemy trying to get me off my, get my eyes onto the warfare off to the, off of the thing that God has for me to do and to put my attention onto the warfare, to put my attention onto the distraction And I think for the greater body of Christ, we just have to make a commitment to not be distracted and to not allow, uh, you know, these things that the enemy tries to throw up, whether in relationships, whether in finances, whether in, uh, you know, jobs or whatever the case is, uh, to not whether whether it's, uh, you know, things in politics, whether it's in things, uh, you know, in in the world, you know, uh, to not let that distract us from the call and the purpose uh, that we've been called to and to stay focused and, and just uh, realize that I, uh, old, uh, pastor, old assemblies, God pastor from, uh, Alabama, uh, one time said to me, his name was brother Cotney. And he said, he said, brother Robbie, he goes, listen to me. He goes, the, he goes, always remember the devil thrives on attention, but he perishes by neglect. Uh-oh. And that is never, I have never forgotten that so the good. devil thrives on attention, but he perishes by neglect Beautiful. and that we've got to neglect the enemy and neglect the, the, the things that he tries to come at us with and neglect that and, and not give him attention, but keep our focus on what Christ is doing and the wonderful, incredible things. And, and in that, we're going to see the most incredible harvest. We're going to see the most incredible breakthrough. Do you mind just praying a prayer over us yes. that are listening now and just release a fresh importation? Yes. Wow. Father, in the name of Jesus, <laughs> I so thank you. I thank you. I thank you for uh, Leith Hetland. I thank you for his ministry. I thank you for the anointing on his life and for the time uh, of this. Everyone listening in this broadcast, Lord, I thank you for a release of, of the power of your presence and especially the ability to not be distracted. Come on. Uh, the enemy was so trying to distract Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The enemy was trying to distract him as he was going through the wilderness. Uh, before uh, coming into the synagogue uh, that we see in, in in Luke chapter four, and and, and was so trying to rob Jesus of the identity, distract him with with hunger, distract him with the things of the world, with the enticements of the world, uh, distract him with things of his own identity. Lord, we're we are so realizing the the tools and the tactics of the enemy are to distract us away from the purpose and the work that God has planned for us and has for us. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us would have the ability to see through the distraction, ignore the distraction, not get our eyes on it, but keep our eyes on Christ. Keep our eyes on who you are and what you're doing. And Father, I declare this as a year of immense breakthrough. Over every ministry, over life's ministry, over every, uh, the ministry of the listeners, it, whether it's just a neighbor across the street or it's a, uh, a house group or a church filled with people. Father, whatever they're doing, whether they're business or whatever, that they will just see that breakthrough, that this is the year. We declare this is the year of breakthrough and the year of transformation uh, to see that come. And a commitment to never to be distracted and to not let the enemy. But when the enemy tries to come, that we respond with the standard where we go. We're taking three for every one you take. We're taking three. everything you come at. We're going to make you pay for those distractions that you try to come at us with. And we're going to make the enemy realize it's going to be too expensive to attack the people of God because it's going to cost him too much. And, Father, I thank you for that empowerment and the release of that in the mighty name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. And very quickly, how can people get some of your resources or connect, even partner with you? There are Robbie Dawkins. Thank you. Yes, RobbieDawkins.com, R-O-B-B-Y-D-A-W-K-I-N-S.com. There's a partner page uh, for our mission stuff. There's there's a, a store page where there's resources, tools, and trainings and all this. That's the place to go to. And as a oh. schedule, as a speaking schedule, everything's on there.
1: And I highly recommend people to partner with Robbie and, and some of the things Thank that you. God is doing through their ministry around the world. Robbie, I do love you. Love I Angie. Love you, right? And just to send my love, we stay in touch, my friend. Yes, sir. Always. <laughs> okay. Love you. Bye-bye.